Well, we're in a series, a two-part series called All in the Family, and we're going to look at part one today. We're all different, you would agree? God loves diversity. If two of us are identical, one of us simply isn't necessary. And everybody's broken, and everybody's growing. So we all need to show grace to each other. Truth, however, is another story. Nobody writes songs like Amazing Truth, How Sweet the Sound. Sometimes the truth is extremely painful. Prophets spoke about truth, they got in trouble. Truth is kind of scary and kind of risky. So I want to start with a story most of you know. It's in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. There's a king there by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He's conquered and captured much of the ancient world, and he took the best and the brightest from those he captured. He wanted to use them as an extension of his leadership throughout his kingdom. He wants to be sure now that everybody in his kingdom is going to be loyal to him, so he orders an image to be erected. It was made of gold. It stood 90 feet tall. It was nine feet wide. Kind of get an idea about the size of this thing. Then he sends a messenger to proclaim this message, Daniel 3, verse 4 through 6. This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples and nations of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now this sets up a crisis for he, three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Israelites. They know God Jehovah, and they know now they're in deep yogurt. They know who they're supposed to worship. And God said, I'll have no other gods before me. The crisis is they're going to have to decide where their ultimate loyalty should be. They're going to have to cheat somebody. Either they'll have to cheat the king out of what he wants, or they're going to have to cheat God out of what he asked for. But one way or the other, somebody is going to be cheated by what they do. Now, in our day, God's rival for most of our lives is not Nebuchadnezzar. It's a culture of busy, hurry, and stuff. You know, our tension point is not bowing down to a golden image. It's a lot more subtle than that, but can be just as destructive. For most of us, the issue is, how do we spend our time? Because that's how you proclaim your love and your allegiance, how you spend your time. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 15, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Days have a way of sucking us into doing stuff with our time that does not honor God. He goes on to say, therefore, do not be senseless, but learn to comprehend what the will of the Lord is. So the, the problem here, the question is, will I use my time in a way that honors God and build into the people God has put me closest to, my family? Will I do it? Or will I just go into the gear of busy, frenzied, and hurried like most people in our culture? My wife and I were talking with an empty nest now of our kids, thinking back when our kids were very little, how 
it wasn't so busy. And how are young adults now? And some of you moms out there with a couple of toddlers and mom and dad working, how life is so doggone busy. I mean, people can't even wait for the light to get full green before they're blowing the horn and flying. It is, right? It's, it's an impatient, busy, get out of the way, hurry up culture. How many of you struggle with this issue of how you spend your time? Think about work. Work is not a curse. God made you to work. God works six days. Nothing wrong with work. It's a good thing. But the reality is we have more to do than we can ever get done. If you're a typical American, you'll spend on average three years sitting in meetings. There's a good book out business leaders ought to read. It's called Death by Meeting. And the reason corporate America hates meetings is because they're not planned. Everybody's invited who shouldn't be invited. And it's irrelevant. It's too long. Nobody starts and stops on time. And if you do that, somebody ought to smack you right in the lips. Don't you waste people that work for you. Don't waste their time. If they don't have absolute necessity in that meeting, don't bring them to that meeting. And number two, plan the meeting. Start on time, get to the point, and close the meeting. People will love you for that. But even in corporate America, in corporate retail, and some of my kids work in that area, they will tell you those meetings suck. They're not planned. People don't need to be there that are there. They don't stay on track, and they waffle all over the place, and you're messing with people's time. Time is more valuable than money in a busy culture, time, because there's just a limited amount of it. If you're a typical typical American, you're going to have to manage assignments, mountains of paperwork. The Wall Street Journal cited this statistic, the average executive spends four hours a week searching for missing information in messy desks and files. I'm sure none of you would be in that category. Are you ever interrupted? The average person is interrupted seven times a day. And technology has not made life easier. It's made it more complex. It ties us to our work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Author Richard Swenson writes about a man who went on a one-week vacation. And when he came back, he had over 1,000 emails to answer. It's, it's multiplying our workload. Every time I buy something, go somewhere, may I have your email? No, no, no. Just say no. I don't want you in my life. Well, I'm just telling you, it'll rob you. Uh, that phone you're holding, it, it can rob you of, of time, your emails, all that stuff. Swenson goes on to say, Next Christmas, if you want to give somebody a gift that will really enhance their lives, give them a phoneless cord. (laughs) I love that. So here's the problem. If you said, I'm going to get everything done my work demands, everything that life demands, I'm going to meet with every person who wants to, I'm going to attend every meeting I'm invited to, I'm going to complete every project, I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity. When would you ever leave the office? Never. So it's always going to ask for more. There simply isn't enough time. Then you go home, that takes time. The average American will spend 75 minutes a day commuting. 
You'll spend six months of your life sitting at traffic lights waiting for the light to turn green. And there ought to be a special place in hell for people who break at a green light. (laughs) That's in my Bible, okay? And because there's not enough time, we all multitask, all of us. There's a study about dangerous things people do while driving. The third most dangerous thing they do driving is talking on a phone. People do it because they don't have enough time. The second most dangerous thing people do while driving is putting on makeup. And some of you know who you are. But the single most dangerous thing people do while driving is they read. It amazed me. People read while driving simultaneously. So there's just not enough time. So we keep trying to invent ways to make life go faster, make projects take less time. I I read this week that if you put instant coffee in a microwave oven, you actually go back in time. You'll have to think about that one for a minute. USA Today had an article where the writer interviewed experts in different fields of life, physical fitness, you know, your diet, vocational relationships, sleep, how much time you need to be at your best in all these areas, just the minimum time. And the writer totaled all of these amounts, and they came to about 40 hours a day, just minimum. Think about that. So what are you going to do? Well, Andy Stanley has written a book that I gleaned the next couple of illustrations from. It's called Choosing to Cheat. Now, it's not about unethical cheating, like cheating on a test, like the University of Texas football player who was told by his professor that he had flunked the final exam, even though he only got one problem wrong. And so the kid says, why did I flunk? And the professor says, well, you haven't been getting good grades, and you sit next to the smartest student in the class. He also got one problem wrong. The football player said, well, that could be a coincidence. Yeah, the professor says, but you both missed the same problem. The player said, well, that could be a coincidence. The professor said, yeah, but the straight A student wrote next to the question, I don't know the answer to this. And you wrote, I don't know the answer either. (laughs) We're not talking about that kind of cheating. So the idea is that you have to give up certain opportunities in order to take advantage of other ones. You can't answer every demand. You can't satisfy every voice. You can't go to everything. You have limits. There have to be boundaries. You are a finite creature. So somebody in your life is going to feel cheated because of the reality that you don't have enough time. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to decide who's going to get cheated, King Nebuchadnezzar or God. It had to be somebody So now I have to decide, where am I going to cheat? I don't have enough time, and I bet most of you don't either. So who in my life am I going to allow to feel cheated? The danger is, typically we cheat those that we care about the most. Now let me give you an illustration from Andy Stanley's book, Choosing to Cheat. Imagine somebody you love, a best friend, ask you to do him or her a favor. They take you out to the back of their SUV, and they pick up a rock that weighs about 30 pounds. Your friend says, look, I need you to hold this for a little while. I've got some real important things to do. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. Will you hold the rock for me? Now, it's a pretty strange request, but he's your friend, and you want to help. So you say yes. 
Your friend gets in the truck, drives away. 30 minutes go by, he's not back yet. 45 minutes, then an hour, then two hours. The rock's getting heavy, and you're getting annoyed. Finally, the guy pulls up in his SUV, hops out, and says, look, I still got a lot of things to do. It's going to take longer than I expected. Please hold the rock for me a little while longer, will you? So you say reluctantly, well, okay. You're afraid to sound selfish and say no. So he leaves. And again, he's gone for several hours. Your back is sore. Your arms are tired. Your trust in this person is starting to erode. You start to resent having to hold the rock. Then you kind of feel guilty that you resent it. So your hands are now cramping. Your shoulders are in agony. Your body has reached the breaking point. You can't hold the rock anymore. It slips from your grasp, hits the ground, shatters into a thousand pieces. And just at that moment, your friend pulls up, gets out of the SUV, and shouts, What happened? Why did you let it slip? Why the sudden collapse? And you want to say, What do you mean sudden, Sparky? You were just worn down minute by minute, hour by hour, and there wasn't enough strength left in you to hold the rock. Then came the collapse. Now listen, who's holding your rock? When I miss key moments in the lives of my children because I'm too busy, my kids hold the rock. When we ask our spouses to be constantly present in the family so we can be chronically absent, they hold the rock. When I can't really engage with the people I say I love because I've given my best energy somewhere else, they're left holding the rock. And I think in our culture, most people tend to cheat at home. Our careers promise us wealth and significance and ego enhancement, so we give an inordinate amount of time and energy at the office. We end up cheating God and cheating the people God called us to love. Now, let's go back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for a moment and look at a couple of things about the response of these three boys. They don't bend down to this idol of gold. Nebuchadnezzar hears about it. He becomes enraged. He calls them before him, and in Daniel 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true you don't serve my God? You don't worship the golden statue I've set up? Now look, boys, when you hear the music, and if you'll fall down and worship the statue I've made, all's forgiven. Come on now. Everything will be good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who will deliver you out of my hands? Who will deliver you out of my hands is what we call a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is not one that's looking for an answer. We say to our kids, Billy, do you want a spanking? That's a rhetorical question. No kid says, well, I've considered other options, and this sounds like the best one. No, no, you're not looking for an answer. Or your wife says, does this dress make my hips look too big? Come on, this is a setup. You're supposed to say no. But these three boys have an answer. Verse 16 and 17, Daniel 3. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand. Now notice, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have made up their mind what they're going to do before they knew what the outcome was going to be. They don't have it all planned out. They don't know how the details are going to be arranged in this deal. But the first thing they did was make a firm commitment and decision. We will not bend our knee to a golden statue because our God is able to deliver us. Now, if you're saying, Rick, you don't know the details of my life, well, if I don't know you, I probably don't. But I do know that this is the question. Do you believe that if you honor this creator, omnipotent God with your time, if you spend time with Him and those that you love, do you believe our God is able to make up whatever gap that might create for you vocationally and financially? And that's the question, because the time issue is a trust issue. You will never get the time thing right until you start with this premise, our God is able. God, I don't know how the details are going to work out, but I'm going to dare to trust you with my time. I am not going to cheat you, and I'm not going to cheat my family anymore. I'm going to trust you. I believe you are able. And there's something else about this decision. It needs to be absolutely concrete, not a vague, well, I need to spend more time at home and less at work or in my hobbies. That usually produces nothing. Maybe it means you leave the office by 5.30, whether you're finished or not. Stanley says that one day a man came to him who was 37 years old and a professional bicycle racer. That was his passion. The bike was his rock. He had a main job, of course, during the week. But every weekend, every moment he had went into cycling. It was killing his wife and his daughter. He kept promising he would spend less time on the weekend on the bike, but he kept breaking the promise. It was like an addiction. No different than drug addiction or alcohol addiction or sex addiction or whatever it may be. Same kind of an addiction. He couldn't quit, couldn't give it up. So he knew he'd have to do something drastic. He's cheating the ones who love him the most and that he should love for a stupid bike with two wheels. So he comes into Stanley's office and he says, here, I want you to have this. God wanted me to do this for a long time, but I've kept evading it. So here it is have fun. And he walked out. And he gave Stanley, his pastor, a $2,000 mountain bike. So I suggest you think about a stake you might need to put in the ground, because it's got to be more than a vague intention. It might be a fishing boat. It could be golf clubs. It could be a hunting rifle. It could be bowling. I don't know what it could be playing poker. I don't know what it is. But if it's killing your family, the issue of what you're doing is not sinful, it's not wrong, but the priority is wrong. It's stealing time from those who love you the most. It's robbing God of His time. You can't get to church. You're busy. You've got other commitments. You can't go to your kid's game. You can't go to a child's event. You can't spend uh, a dinner night with your wife because you're overcommitted and giving the time to lesser important things. And truth is, you're addicted to it. That's where it becomes wrong. Any of those things are good things, but not when they cheat God and the ones that you love the most. There ought to be a line with bass boats and golf clubs and all kind of stuff coming out here to the office saying, I got to get radical because I've been saying I'm going to quit, but I hadn't quit. And that when something possesses you, that's when it's wrong. 
It's not, I think God's pleased to give you everything. But at the end of the day, if it possesses you and it takes you away from God and it takes you away from those that you love, you just got a bad deal, no matter how much money is involved. You got a bad deal. Kind of funny, though, when somebody challenges about cheating our family, all of us are quick to say, but I love my family. And I think we really do. But here's the problem. I judge my love for my family by my feelings. But the people in my family judge my love for them by my schedule. You know how you spell love? T-I-M-E, time. Can I spell it M-O-N-E-Y, money? No. Can I spell it good intentions? No. You can only spell it one way, time. There's another dimension to these three Hebrew boys and the decision they made. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you would agree, are under a lot of pressure to bow down to this stupid idol just like you and I are. But they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 17, our God is able to deliver us, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. Oh, and by the way, but if He's got a better plan, and if He does not, we want you to know we still won't serve your God. We will not bend the knee to your idol. Our God is able, and He will deliver us, but we want you to know that even if He does not, wow. That's called, even if he does not, faith. If you trust God with your time, your God is able. Our God is able to multiply your effectiveness. Our God is able to shower you with blessings. Our God is able to cause a flow of financial resources to come into your life. Our God is able to give you advancement. Our God is able to introduce you to many more opportunities than you have ever known before. And that may well be what happens. But the question is, will I honor the God who made me, loved me, and died for me with my time, even if He does not? That's called faith. Well, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to honor God with their loyalty meant they would have to be thrown into a fiery furnace. By the way, that's not a spiritual furnace. That's a real furnace. In some places of our world right now, people face torture and murder if they honor God. What about us? If we honor God with our time, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? What would our fiery furnace look like? Pretty pitiful compared to this one. Maybe you won't be promoted as rapidly. Maybe you'll have less money. Maybe you won't get the car you want. Maybe you won't get to buy the house in the neighborhood that would be ideal. Maybe your resume won't look so impressive. Well, big whoopee deal. If you understand the outcome. Maybe you girls need to cheat your house occasionally. Well, for crying out loud, cheat your house. It's just stuff. Instead of dusting, write the word joy in the dust on your furniture one day. <laughs> and do something with the family. A kid came running to his mother and says, Mommy, is it true what the pastor said that from dust we were made and dust we will return? And the mommy said, Well, yeah, Billy, why do you ask? And the kid said, Well, I just looked under my bed and somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> Big deal. Dust is only small particle rearrangement. Cheat the house if you need to. See, if you trust God with your time, it's going to mean dying to something. Something will get undone, no doubt about it. But don't cheat the more important for the less important. 
You and I were made by this God who gave us immeasurable love to die in our place to give us eternal life, promises never to leave us or forsake us, and we can't get out of bed if it rains or it's cold and honor Him with our time one day in a week. I'm simply saying, well, to be ashamed. You're cheating God, the God who holds your life in His hand and says, he that honors me, him will I honor. The God who is our healer, our deliverer, our provider. Holy cow, what happened to you? Wake up. And I don't think, I think we get seduced. I don't think we mean to do it. I think it just kind of seduces us into happening. Well, I honor him with my time. Well, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego won't bow. So Nebuchadnezzar orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than ever and throws them in. Then he looks in, they're still alive. And in verse 25 of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, didn't we throw three guys in here? Well, these dudes are still alive, and there's a fourth guy walking around in the furnace. So you can try to squeeze God out of your life if you want to. You can cheat. But when people decide I'm going to honor God with my time, I won't cheat God. God's given me a family, most important asset in my life. I will not cheat my family. I will not get to the end of my one and only life and look back on it and see that the people who should have mattered the most got the least of my benefits in my life. I won't do it. And I challenge you to make that resolution. You will honor God with what time you have. Maybe it means you set a time to leave the office each day. Maybe it means you're going to protect most weekends. This is not saying there can't be an emergency or an exception. Of course, we're talking about day in, day out, year in, year out as a routine. Maybe it means you're going to protect the weekend. I dare you to take the risk of trusting God with your time and see if Jesus, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, doesn't show up and bless your life, your family, and your heart. It's part of His grace. Sometimes when Cindy and I are alone and we're reminiscing about the time our little girls were just little squirts. We remember pushing them on their tricycles, then training wheels on a bike, then the bike, then four-wheelers came along, then, oh, God, cars. We remembered. And we, we just wonder, where did the time go? It was so fast. Now, I know some of you, like uh, you young couples that just had babies and have a little toddler, you probably think it's going to be eons. But I'm telling you, you're going to wake up one day. And they said, Daddy, Bill, and I are going to get married. Or, uh, Daddy, can I get my driver's license? It's just like, where did the time go? It goes that fast. The Bible says our days and our life is like a vapor. And it's gone. I love life. I feel great. I'm not on medication. I've not been sick. I had Bell palsy once, didn't I? Yeah. That sucked. No, no cure for that. But I realize my life is a vapor. No matter what happens, if it ends today, it's, it's, it's a great life, but a long life, I repeatedly have to make very hard choices, and so will you. Nobody can escape it. And it's not a one-time thing. We have to constantly update, revamp, reprioritize our life to make sure the main thing's getting the main part of my life and benefit. Maybe you're offered a promotion for more money to go to a, a country or a state where there's no great church to a city and a plant where it's going to rob you of time from your family. Oh, but they're going to they're pay you like, a, like you're paying a high-dollar escort so I can take you away from God and take you away from your family, take you out of church for more money. I've seen that happen four times. Families came back five years later, they're divorced. The enemy will buy you out if he can. 
He'll seduce you quicker than Delilah if he can. So be careful. Remember, who owns the highest priority of your life? Seek God first, family second, your career and entertainment comes third. It's simple. Keep those priorities in your mind and in your heart. God bless you. And you wonder one day, where did all the days go? How did our house get empty? And of course, now grandchildren get to occupy it. Time. Maybe you think you've squandered a lot of it. But I'm going to tell you, it's not too late. That's what grace is for. That's what Jesus provided. Maybe you've been in denial about your cheating, about who's holding the rock. So it's not too late. That's what truth is for. God sent His Son, Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. And the same Jesus who gives us grace and truth is also Lord of our time. Be careful who you cheat. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.